you're listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Peter Thunderlines and DJ On this week's podcast, Pete turns up on time. Our guest, Scott Ashley, counts bullets and tells us what it's like to be in the Marines. Guys, um, welcome to the Thunder Buddies pod. I'm here as usual, DJ Bobby B, uh, with Pete Lyons. We also have joining us uh, Bootcamp UK instructor Scott Ashley, uh, and we're going to go a bit into his background and his military experience, and also what he brings to Bootcamp. But Scott, I want you to put it in your own words first of all. Who are you, and what do you do with your time? So, Scott Ashley, uh, former Royal Marine Commando. Uh, now I am semi-retired. Uh, after 35 years in the Royal Marines, um, and I do Boot Camp UK, uh, and then I run my own business called The Conquering Marine, which is very much about promoting mental health. Uh, I have complex PTSD, which is one of the reasons why I was discharged from the Royal Marines, uh, and helping people promote it, uh, and then with that do afternoon speaking and a little bit of leadership training. So there's loads to get into because um, as well as the you know, fascinating military background and the insight in, into the Marines, I'm particularly interested in the mental health stuff and your own business first of all. So tell us why you set up the Conquering Marine and why you thought it was important to have a focus on uh, mental health and PTSD. Yeah, um, There is a major issue with mental health in the armed forces. I was lucky enough that I was commissioned and the more you go up the rank structures... The, there is, the less is offered to you, uh, especially in the Marines, because it, we're more bothered about our men. So as an officer, I'm more bothered about how my men are functioning, opposed to how I'm, I'm functioning, and then possibly other officers, and senior officers around me, because the big thing the Marines is, the most important asset we have as Marines okay. is the Marine himself. Uh, so we always look after below, opposed to going up the other way. Uh, but with defence cuts... Uh, and everything with the way that the things are now running the MOD in the military, they want more for less. Um, and the reason why in certain individuals, if you've got a very driven individual who is willing to give everything, they will then take their pound of flesh and a little bit more. Oh, wow. um, and, and a large amount of that is mental health. Yeah. Um, they will think nothing of you working. 12, 14 hour days, seven days a week. I mean, I, I've, I saw that with the, with, the, with the redundancy trances that come in. You know, they, uh, we lost a lot of blokes and what I found is a lot, a lot of the good blokes got out and it left, the, the, the good blokes that were left in, they were doing double the amount of work yeah. for, you know, and they were doing someone else's job and then that, that, you know, you can't, that's not sustainable and that's going to have an effect. Then coupled in with the time away from friends and family in arduous situations and in, and in, and in war zones as well. So, yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a feeling within the MOD and I've, I've voiced it quite heavily hmm. that we've brought technology in. So technology means you don't have as much manpower, but well, it's actually the opposite. You need more manpower because technology allows you to do more. Yeah. Uh, and they want more from you. So I got to the stage where I knew my military career was coming to an end, not on my choice. Okay. Uh, I'd had two breakdowns while serving. 
from PTSD related mental health and I then became quite vocal and was willing to put my head above the parapet and say there's a problem and I've got mm. a problem you know look at me I've you know I'm at the time I was a major I'm major Scott Ashley and I've got a mental health issue yeah. caused some problems I was very lucky that one of my generals a guy called Matt Holmes unfortunately he's no longer with us he committed suicide six months ago oh, wow. from PTSD we spoke of bits and pieces I then was discharged got a job as quite a high-powered civil servant that lasted six months and my head blew up and I just had to give that away and then suddenly thought right how can I put out that there's a problem out there and how can I sell me as a package and suddenly thought right I'm gonna start doing some challenges um, so the first challenge I came up with I did 24 spin classes in 24 hours Wow. Um, and then someone said well who are you and I then came up with this concept of the conquering marine uh, the reason conquering is is that one of the commando things is united we conquer yeah so it had a, a play on words should we say yeah and I thought well I'm a marine I'll put the two together yeah, yeah. Um, right. and then it come up and then what I've now got is a series of challenges that I've got planned over the next two to three years uh, one of them is and I'm planning on doing it in about 12 months time is I'm going to do the three peaks but I'm going to cycle in between the three peaks. Oh, wow. Uh, so the plan is I will climb Snowden, cycle from Snowden to Scarfell Pike, climb Scarfell Pike, then cycle from Scarfell Pike to Ben Nevis, climb the Ben, and then cycle to the Commando Memorial in Fort William, uh, all raising money for uh, Combat Stress and the Royal Marines Charities because they've both looked after me and helped me, and at the same time promoting mental health and predominantly PTSD. Uh, so that's one challenge I've got. Another challenge that I'm doing with a very good friend of mine who's a former Royal Marine Lieutenant Colonel who, again, has got the same issues as I have. We're going down to the South Pole. Uh, the plan is, is that we're going to ski the last degree to the South Pole, climb the mountain on the on the glacier, on the ice cap, which is one of the death zone mountains, they call, and then we're going to do a 30-mile around the South Pole never been done before and then the final one is I'm climbing Mount Everest are you so not just up to base camp no going, going the full way to the top wow. so they're the three over the next well 12 to 5 years they're the three things I've got planned and I've sat down with my wife and discussed it yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm I've got to give myself a challenge uh, it's the only way I function I've done it from the day I joined up that I have to challenge myself both mentally but, but you, have, you have that from like Obviously, myself being ex-military as well, um, we you have that for going through your career like that. You know, we, everyone's always pushed to go and do their challenges and stuff. And when you know when you get out and you go into civil street, there is that no structure and that. Yeah. So sometimes you and it and it's good for our mental well-being that we can set our own challenges and stuff. And anything that we can do to help you in those challenges, that we yeah, do. absolutely. And it's and it's promoting. You know, it's promoting the whole way along. Yeah. And that's the beauty of boot camp is. It's helping people in that boot camp community, but it's the same mindset. It's the same, yeah. you know. I worked in a civilian gym for six months, yeah. and I had to end up having to leave because it wasn't doing me any good. I hated that whole commercial corporate right gym where everything is very linear. You either pushing weights up and down or left and right. Yeah, yeah. 
the classes are all quite boring. They're yeah. all very much the same. They're all a little bit Les Mills or whatever yeah. you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's not me. That's, yeah. you know, I joined the Marines at 16 years old. I was two weeks old. I, I remember my birthday was on the 13th of June. I did my maths O-level, show my age now, <laughs> on the 14th of June. Yeah. And I joined up on the 1st of July. Wow. I couldn't have joined up any earlier than I did. Um, and it was a childhood dream. I decided to join the Marines at four years old. Never changed my mind. Yeah. So I want to uh, uh, know a bit more about what drove that uh, that dream and that decision and why you decided to join the Marines. But for people listening, not everybody will know. Uh, you know people will know Marines are elite, but not everybody will know some of the practical differences uh, between the Marines and other aspects of the armed forces. Yeah. So okay. for the layman, can you just explain yeah, a little so bit about that? As much as it pains me to say this, Pete's going to laugh. Pete's going to laugh at me now. Yeah. <clears throat> the Royal Marines are a section of the Royal Navy. So they're, the infantry, <laughs> they're the infantry of the Royal Navy. We're not the infantry of the Royal Navy. <laughs> so long and short of it was that uh, the Marines have been in existence since 1664, yeah. in some shape or form. Uh, and it has been, as Pete says, it's <laughs> a way of projecting back then infantry from the shipping forward. So that concept has always been there uh, and it just developed over the years and over the years. Second World War came about, as we know, and Churchill then wanted to go into the guerrilla warfare type of stuff, and he then formed the commandos. He'd got the idea of the commandos from when he was serving in the Boer War, uh, liked the term commando, named the commandos, uh, and it was open to everyone. But what happened was the Marines got sort of pushed into, into that role. After the Second World War, uh, commandos got disbanded as such, but the role was given to the Royal Marines. So post 45, all Royal Marines then became commandos. So the commando um, role has always now sat with the Royal Marines. To put it in some sort of context, the, the military from an infantry perspective is broken down into three tiers. Mm. So you've got tier one, which is your special forces, which is your likes of the Special Boat Service or the Special Air Service. Uh, and then you've got a couple of other organisations that hover around that. You've then got Tier 2. Tier 2 is the, is Commando or Airborne. Okay. So you are you have gone and had to have attended a specialist arduous course, yeah. be it parachute training if you're going to become a para, Royal Marine recruit training if you're going to become a Marine, or you've gone and done the All Arms Commando course, or you've done P Company. That then puts you into this Tier 2, which is one below the SF role, and then you've then got what they call the Line Infantry, which is the Guards. The yeah. And then that's broken down as well, and you've got Light Infantry and Mechanised. Infantry like and bits and pieces. Yeah. So what you've got is, and the way that the, the UK government is now restructuring to bring it to the modern era, What's happened over the years is that the special forces have, have gone, say, to the right quite heavily. Afghan was the main with it. And what happened to the Marines and the parachute regiments, we tended to get drawn back to the lo level three, if that makes sense. Okay. What's happened now is, definitely with the Marines, and it's starting to happen with the parachute regiment, we're now being pushed back to where we should do. More specialist. So we're going more specialist. So the Marines are now used to what we were, which was raiding doing little, go in there, smash something up, nick someone, blow something up, disappear, back into the, the night sky. And the difference between us and our airborne cousins, 
self-sufficient. That's the big yeah, thing. Is that like, it, it's self-sufficiency? They will tend to come out of the out of the sky. We will tend to come via via the sea. However, what I want to drop in now is there are more paratrained marines than there is paratrained paras. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. But what an insight. Um, that, that was a really helpful way of breaking it down. I think you did that really clearly. So let's go back to four-year-old Scott uh, dreaming of being a marine and seeing this dream through. Why was that your, your dream? Why did it maintain into 16? And, and then as you go on, can you say a little bit about whether or not that dream lived up to expectations. Okay. Um, to answer your question, I don't know why. Uh, none of my family are military. I grew up in West London. Quite uh, strange. So I come from a I come from a military family. So it was, I was growing up. You know, it was always in. You know, it was always an option for me. You know. Yeah. And yeah. Andy on the Gosport podcast said that yeah, it was yeah. military or prison. Yeah. yeah um, so, so my my dad my dad my dad was in the army. Uh, my brothers were in the army. My granddad was in the navy. My uncle was in the RAF. So it was always a, a path for me. You know, so mine was picking what route I wanted to go. And mine's do. totally the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So dad was a bank manager. He was Captain Mannering, for want of a better phrase. You know. <laughs> uh, you know. I'm 54, so you can work out, you know, dad's 80 now, so dad was a bank manager, mum was a nurse, my grandfather didn't serve in the war because he was a builder in London, so he was retained, he wasn't allowed to join up, because he was rebuilding London as the Germans were bombing it, Yeah. so, but both my grandparents on my mum's side and my dad's side retired to Exmouth from London when uh, I was very little. So from the age of sort of zero, we were every summer holiday, every half term, we went down to Exmouth where they lived. And the commando training centre is three miles up the road. Yeah, yeah. We would go and walk the family dog and you'd bump into Marines. And I turned around and said, that's what I want to do. And I never ever changed, changed my mind. My mum, God bless her, she found my school reports about three, four years ago when she was moving house from the word dot right to the day I left. Yeah. And everyone is, what's this obsession Scott's got with the military? Mm-hmm. Along with, if he'd worked harder, he could have done better at school. I hated school. All I wanted to do was leave school. I wanted to play sport and be, I was a Marine cadet. Everything I could do to get me ready to join the Marines was the case. Yeah. So, you, so you left London and then you went straight to Limpston to, to the Commando Training Centre. I never went back. Um, so what is it, 35 weeks then? 32 weeks we did then. 32 weeks, yeah. So did 32 weeks basic training. Um, I had my first, so I'm a little bit unusual as much as I joined up as a junior. So we're not like the so Army. So the Army, when you join the Army as a junior, you go to a separate, Marines don't do that. We join with the adults. Okay. So, so yeah, they have the, the Army Foundation College up in Harrogate. So yeah, we, don't, we literally will put a 16-year-old into a troop with a 32-year-old. Oh, wow. So it's a big, broad spectrum. Hmm. Uh, I went in 16, was in a junior troop, even though, uh, and unfortunately I got to week 24, and my legs just, I was too young, I joined too young. So I had to leave. So I left, um, never forget it, cried my whole way home on the train. Yeah. Whole way home back to London, cried because my dream I saw had shattered. Just explain that a little bit more for me. When you say your legs, um, what happened to your legs? Uh, basically, I <clears throat> I grew. Uh, I've got to get this right now. I grew about four inches and put two stone of weight on 
in the space of 24 weeks. Because of all the training? Because of all the training. And my body just couldn't cope with it. I was too young. My bones yeah. were still forming. So I had this thing called shin splints and stress fractures where my, just, my bones, my lower part of my leg, just kept breaking. Lucky enough, because I was still a junior, mum and dad had private medical insurance. So I came home, had three operations on my legs, went back into the careers office on crutches the day after having surgery and said, I wanted to rejoin the Royal Marines. Yeah. They thought I was mad. Did they put you back into the same stage of training though? No. Nope. So I then had to get myself fit, which took me six months. Yeah. I then had to do all the selection again. Oh, no, no. Because one, they wanted to see that mentally I was really wanting yeah. to do it. They wanted to see physically whether I could do it. And then nine months to the day from me leaving, I rejoined, but they made me go back to day one, week one again. And I started another 32 weeks training. Um, passed out as a so within training uh, it's exactly the same in whatever service you get your best recruits and all the bits all yeah. that sort of stuff in the marines it's a big thing so we get called diamonds so in a troop so when you join for instance there were 64 the day I joined there were 9 of us passed out and out of that 9 4 of you are like the top you become a diamond and out of one of one of you will become the top marine in that intake Fine. I came second in my troop. Oh, wow. Um, so Did you not get oh, when we when we pass that now you get uh, awards so you get best shot, best recruit, yeah. um, best at drill, best physical training and yeah. stuff. So yeah. I, I, I took I took best physical training in my troop. But um, but they yeah. So did they not have that? Yeah, best yeah. Shot so we stuff? have at the time it was the best shot on the rifle, yeah. best machine gunner, oh, right, okay. best at physical. Uh, and then you get the diamonds. Yeah, so oh, cool. I was a bit of an all-rounder. So I, I was more bothered about being one of the best in the trooper poster. Yeah, yeah. And we had lads in my troop were just ridiculously fit. Yeah. You know, when you look at the nine of us that passed out, four ended up as PTIs. Yeah. Three ended up being special forces, as in um, special boat service. Yeah. Two ended up as mountain leaders, who were the other SF people that I mentioned earlier on yeah. so as a troop of nine of us we were quite mm. special yeah um, so I, so just come back onto that uh, the training so obviously if anyone doesn't know commander training you go through like all, all the training for two training stuff then you do the, the commander bit at the end don't you yes yeah, uh, so, so us training split into three parts so as a forearming they'll go in they'll do the first 14 weeks which is standard infantry yeah. or deemed as infantry training you then go into what they call the consolidation phase, which is basically from week 14 up to week 20. This is putting all the exercises. Which is exercise and building up. And then basically the last 10 weeks of recruit training is the commando phase. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then that culminates week in... test week, is it? Yes. So well, no, it's test for, the test week for the Marines is three weeks. Okay. Um, so the first thing you have to do is you do a 14-day exercise. Uh, okay. So the exercise starts in Dorset and finishes in Cornwall and you walk the majority of the, yeah. your time. Basically, you finish the, the what we call final exercise, finishes on the Wednesday. You then get Thursday to recover, but you don't because they just <laughs> take you down the assault course. <laughs> yeah. And then on the Friday morning, the commando test starts. So you start your commando tests, yeah. fatigue, because you've just done 14 days yeah. on exercise. Wow. The first commando test is a nine miles, uh, is the nine mile speed march, speed march yeah. 
which is bottom field as well. Yeah. yeah, which is so the nine mile speed march is uh, nine miles in ninety minutes, carrying approximately forty pounds, and at the end of it, you then do a full attack. So, because the whole purpose of speed marching is to get you to the start line, ready to go and put an attack in. So you then go and do what they call a troop attack, which is thirty blokes killing the enemy and doing all that. You then get supposedly the rest of Friday off, but you don't. <laughs> um, then on the Saturday morning, you do a thing called the, the endurance course. So you have to make your way to Woodbury Common, which is four miles. So you walk four miles to Woodbury Common, where the, the, the course is. And basically it's two and a half miles of uh, rolling moorland going through a series of tunnels. Some of them are f- completely flooded. It's, it's on Blue Peter at least once every 12 months. <laughs> the famous water tunnel or sheep dip. Uh, and you go around that as a team of three because you have to work as a team of three because if you don't, you can't get through some of the tunnels. Okay. On completion of that two and a half miles, you then run the four miles back to camp, get to the range, pull your weapon through, and you then have to hit the target eight out of ten times. So the time limit for the, for the two and a half mile course and then the four mile run back is 71 minutes but if you do if you get if you don't pass the shoot you fail the whole test wow because again it's all about you've got to be able to do the job at the end yeah you then get sunday off and then you just sleep and eat (laughs) yeah and do whatever administration you've got uh then on the monday morning you then do a combination of what pete mentioned which is the bottom field assault course and the Tarzan course. So uh, obviously they've got the big, um, they've got the, the war, big water tank where you do the re- regain over the top. Yeah, they? yeah. I was thinking, yeah, I did um, so we took the boot, boot camp out to do the OCR done, and that's challenge. Yes. Remember the ropes that you go I over do. the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously it was right next to the water. Yeah. But the um, the commander one, it's high. How high up? It's about thirty foot in the about air. About thirty foot in the air, you know. So um, it's the same sort of rope. And you know when I when they they fell off. Yes. And um, I was showing everyone how to do a rope regain when I... Well, yeah. uh, you were in a different group too, because you went ahead with Waterlooville. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't see you do it. So for... But everyone was falling off the ropes. And yeah. They're, they're in the water because it's right next to the water. Yeah. And um, uh, they were like, how do I get... So I had to get back on, get back on the rope, get on, show them how to do a rope regain. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, it just puts in context of, of how hard it is to do a rope regain, but... Obviously, if you fall off, if the guys fall off on that, they have to regain. To yeah, and remember, you're wearing forty pound a kit on yeah, that yeah. as well. Yeah, that's um, so you do. So you do that assault course, and then you then so that assault course then runs into what is the Tarzan assault course, which is assault course up in the trees. Yeah. So that goes from anything from about ten foot up to fifty foot in the air, going across a series of ropes and that, and the whole of that has to be done in eleven minutes, with full kit on again forty pound. You then have to climb a thirty foot rope. In 40 pounds and, it, and then you have to do and it sounds really really simple but you have to do 200 meter farmers carry so you carry your oppo your partner um he will they so you've got your kit his kit, kit that's the your thing. rifle his rifle you have to then carry you have to cover 200 meters in 90 seconds wow that's all in one one thing you then finish that and then you get all your kit together and you then uh, travel to dartmoor and then you do the famous 30 miler, 30 miler which, yeah, which starts Oakhampton Battle Camp at the north of the moor. And then you have eight hours to move with, and you're normally carrying about 50 pounds now because you have to carry emergency equipment with you. Uh, and you've got eight hours to do 30 miles and you have to map read and do it all as a, a group of six or eight of you. 
Wow. Um, at the end of that, you get presented with your green berry. You get your green berry. To put it in some context, that's from for a marine to do. Officers have to do it quicker. So an officer will do the nine mile speed march in 90 minutes. The endurance course they have to do in 69 minutes. The um, task and assault course they have to do in 10 minutes. And the 30 mile they have to do in seven hours. So were you an officer in the end? Yes. So you had to do I had to go and redo my tests. Uh, so you're going to do it again? Because obviously you joined as a Marine, didn't you? Yeah, but we, for just for the laugh, we, yeah. we did them all oh, right, okay. But you, you don't do your commander tests once. You do them all the time. Really? Oh, okay. So you can be in a, uh, so, and this puts it into context. So I, I got my green berry. I then, on completion of training, I then got my first, as we know, posting or draft or whatever they call it nowadays. Faz Lane, was it? Uh, no, I got sent to our broth. So I got sent to the east coast of Scotland yeah. for three years to an operational commander unit. Okay. Which was, that's when I learned to become a commander. The camp was located in the foothills of the Cairngorms. So all we would do is go and climb mountains every day and abseil off cliffs and swim across locks and it was heaven for me. And then every so often they would suddenly say, right, we're going to go and do something different. Let's go down to, back down to Devon and go and redo we commando tests. <laughs> um, just for a laugh. Just for, yeah, for a laugh. But what happens is uh, when, you, when you do your command training, so when you want to be promoted to corporal or you want to be promoted to sergeant or you become an officer, elements of it have a commando test in there. Mm. Um, the commando tests are very, very similar to P Company that the parachute regiment do. They're slightly different, uh, yeah, but they're, they're, yeah. they're very similar. I'd say the speed march, I think they have, the, they, the speed they, march is the same as their yeah, tactical yeah. advance to battle, yeah, or tab yeah. as the paras yeah. call it. You don't have a log and stretch on, on No, but what we do is when we do our command courses yeah. for corporal, you then do everything with a log or you do oh, everything right. with a stretcher. Oh, okay. right. So you'll still do the same type. So we would do the endurance course, yeah. carry telegraph pole. Okay. Uh, to make it more of a command type task. Yeah, so it is command, command, command and control and working as a team. You know, yeah. Uh, I think that's what so we then tend to put the, the commando yeah, element yeah. test by giving you a log or a yeah, 80 yeah. kilogram stretcher. Wow. That is some serious workload um, that you described in some of those uh, tests. That's, that's fascinating stuff. And, and, but I guess that's to keep you at the elite level for whenever you're needed. At any time. Absolutely, and and, and life. What I've, sorry, what I've what I've found out. I don't know if they do it with the commanders now. What they start to do with the army is that right? You know, we are you know especially the commandos and powers and stuff and the airborne forces. They are the the at the sharp end of the elite fighting forces. But what I started to see over a few years, they start to lower the standard because of the recruitment. I don't know if they've started doing that. No. So the, the marines were quite. We've been quite clever on how we did it. Uh, I was. Honoured, and I do call it an honour, I was honoured that I took recruits through training as a corporal, as a sergeant, and then I took officers through as well. Yeah. Um, and what they've done is they haven't lowered the standard. What they've done is they've allowed people more time to get to oh, the right, right standard. Yeah. Okay. So the commando tests that I describe are exactly the same commando tests that they did back in 1940, 1939. They've yeah. never changed. Wow, the only difference was they used to do it in Scotland because that's where they trained. Yeah. It's now done in Devon. So the... A young lad or a lad joining the, now, uh, or girls, you know, women are allowed to join the Marines. Uh, no one has managed to be successfully done Marine training. We've got three, wrong, four girls that have managed to pass the commando course. But what they've done is they've lengthened the time of the course to get people 
fitter so they can then so recruit training now is 36 weeks yeah 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 the reason it's four weeks longer one is to get people because the youth of today and I don't want to sound like the old man yeah. even though I am the fossil that I am and I got called a dinosaur quite a few times fizz is different because kids are brought up differently nowadays, and as well, we we, we 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 train a bit smarter now. You know, like you know, back in the gone days of the beasts and the fashions, and we trained to get to a certain thing. So it's the, it, you know, and a lot of people do get injured off the course, and that is because you're cramming a lot of stuff in. Absolutely, you know, you know, training volume versus uh, frequency. You know, so I, I do get why they've done it. It's like rings now don't run in boots. Yeah. Uh, you don't run in boots for the first three weeks. You'll wear boots, but yeah. you won't run in boots. Well, and I... Well, to the body's conditioned, you know. But absolutely. I remember when I was at um, Borden, because we have... So where the, the Marines, they, they go off and do their own different trades and stuff. And I've done my my um, training up in Borden, which is a phase two for the Royal Electrical and Chemical Engineers. We had Marines bolted onto our courses. But whenever we done our fitness tests, we were doing training, they would do it in boots. Still do. Yeah, do they still do that? Do they? But what we've noticed is is that the basic fitness test, and this is something that's come out of Afghanistan, yeah. and that's another reason why training has been extended, is because there's new weapon, the amount of weapon systems that a young lad, young officer has to learn, mm -hmm. because of Afghanistan is, we got brand new kit, you know, all of a sudden right, the government yeah. woke up to the, the, the realization, you know, I, I'll never forget, I had that really weird scenario that my dad was my bank manager. So mm -hmm. I'd go home on leave, and first question was, Scott, why are you overdrawn again? <laughs> and just because you've got checks in your checkbook doesn't mean you've got money in your account. But you seem to be buying a lot of kit. And back in the day, the, the kit was that poor yeah. that you'd buy your own boots, you'd buy your own kit, everything. Wow. We used to buy yeah, our own. Yeah, definitely. So we would look like the man from Millets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he used to be a fashion player. Do you know, do you know, do you know oh, yeah, that? absolutely. Like, oh, he's got, he's got issued kit. Like, oh, he's got the latest kit coming up. He's got this new power webbing and stuff. You know. So I remember joining, said, 4-5 Commando. Um, and the first thing I went and bought was a pair of climbing boots and a, and a barber jacket. Hmm. And that was my... I walked around with a green barrier barber jacket and a set of climbing boots. Yeah. Uh, the army have a phrase for it, call it calling it alley. Alley, yeah. We don't. We just call, the Marines. We call it Gucci. Yeah. Um, and it was the more Gucci you could be, it was this little esprit de corps yeah, yeah. that went on. But Afghanistan, they suddenly realised that you need to issue the right equipment to people, which wasn't only the equipment we wore, but also the hardware. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things they noticed was that the fitness test that was in place wasn't actually good enough because no. there were Marines that were passing the fitness test would then get to operations on uh, the battlefield in Afghanistan and not actually being as fit no. as they thought they were. One of the things which makes the Marines different is we're a self-contained self yeah. unit. So you can join the Marines, you can go and do 36 weeks training some lads will then become chefs. Some lads will become clerks. Some lads will become uh, vehicle mechanics, as Pete mentioned. Some will become underwater knife fighters or, you know, will go down the very, what everyone deems a commando to be. I was lucky. I went down that commando yeah. and I was a sniper. Yeah. You know, I was recce troop. I did all the, com all the, all the commando things. All the warry stuff that you can imagine that my action yeah. man did as a kid. Yeah. yeah. I did for real. Yeah jumping out of planes and all that type of stuff 
but some of the, but we always have this thing that you're marine first, specialization yeah. second. Yeah. If you're one, a lad that it has been a vehicle mechanic, you might not be getting a chance to do all the physical activity that a lad that did my route has got to do, but we still expect them to be marine commandos. Mm. So what they've done is they've changed the, the annual fitness test is a lot harder now. And what it's made the commanders do is that every marine now needs to do X amount of fizz a day to be at that required standard. Yeah. Right. So it's taken the standard back up again. Oh cool, yeah, so yeah, so that that, uh, that that's a really good insight to the marine training and and what you went through to get to come out of training. Obviously, talked to went to your first posting or your first draft, what you know, whatever they call it in the navy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so then so from there, uh, just tell about some of the deployments that you went on to because I can imagine thirty-five years, you know, you would have deployed some. So yeah, um, quite varied actually. At the time, uh, I was I was lucky. I was promoted to corporal after four years. Okay, yeah, so I promoted very very quickly. In that four year period, from passing out to becoming a full corporal, I did an island tour. Northern Ireland. Uh, yeah. Northern Ireland. I did four deployments to Norway. Yeah. Because that was our primary role. Became yeah. a ski instructor, uh, and then I did the back end of the first Gulf War. Uh, so I yeah. did what was Op Haven. Uh, 91 which was us going in saving the Kurds yeah yeah uh, and doing all that and I was three (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was 20 and that was it proved to me what a absolute farce yeah the British military was and I was chatting to you guys earlier on that we were told you know we literally went from the depths of Norway which was about minus 30 where we were operating Within 48 hours, we were told we were going to the mountains of Kurdistan, struck yeah. Iraq. I walked off a Chinook helicopter, which is the double, the big double, double bladed, rotor blades, double yeah. rotor bladed helicopter, with a massive great, we call them Bergens, but big rucksack, my skis, my snowshoes, my rifle, into about 40 degrees heat. <laughs> uh, and then realised very quickly that the British military just didn't have a clue what yeah. it was doing. No. And my favourite thing about that story when you told it earlier was that all your kit was white yeah. and um, yeah, ready to camouflage in the snow, <laughs> not the desert. Uh, what, what makes what makes me laugh is that when everyone talks about oh, it was this this event was planned with military precision. <laughs> <laughs> and, was that, that, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's my point. And yeah. it's only you know, and that was that, and uh, and the military muddled along. And it was really muddling, you know, from there, it was sort of more winter deployments. So I was lucky enough that I got sent, to, I did six months in Belize. Mm, yeah. Uh, I did find Belize though. Loved it. Yeah. So I, I never done, I never done Belize. A, a few of my good mates done it. And um, when I was in Miami, they, they jumped over to um, meet us over and they'll tell some stories about Belize. There's a bar, there's a bar, is it on camp or it's right next to camp where the, there's a bloke who's got a tattoo gun. Yeah, like, and it's like all the all the lads getting getting pissed in the bar there, and they come back with like funny tattoos. It's I'm horrendous. Like, I'm like, it might be funny now, but do you do know that a tattoo is for life? Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, yeah, so I did six months in Belize, but was lucky enough that I became a jungle warfare instructor. So I did time in Brunei. Yeah, uh, went away and did some specialist courses that I wanted to do that I was really lucky to get on, and then sort of trying where else I went in that time. Just travelled the world, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and really we weren't. You said you was in Africa. You done a bit of tours. Uh, that was that was later on. I did an Africa tour, yeah, uh, which I'll sort of I'll explain 
yeah, yeah. a little bit later on. But did that, did another island tour. So did the usual, you know, what was going around. How did you so, find Ireland? Where, where were you deployed in Ireland? So I did two tours of Ireland. I did Belfast. In Belfast, yeah. Which yeah. was like uh, downtown Portsmouth. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean that in a derogatory. It was no. quite bizarre. Yeah. And so then I, I, so I've, I've, I've been, I went to Ireland. I wasn't deployed there. We, we actually played football in the... Um, the Army Cup semi-final over at oh, is it Aldergrove, yeah, Aldergrove, yeah. yeah. So we played over there. We went into to Belfast, and it's just like a normal city, but it's still, you know, you've got to be careful about your it surroundings. Was, it was really, really weird because there were areas that you could go and couldn't go. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that really got me was how indoctrinated it was. So you'd be patrolling down the street, and you knew things, and you you'd build, you'd pick up on the um, atmospherics. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you'd see this beautiful little girl will come out, blonde hair, and <laughs> I won't describe what would come out of her mouth. <laughs> and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, you'd hear the banging going on because the the children predominantly would be hitting bins and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. to warn whoever the the, the military, British military are coming around the corner. Yeah. And it was a lot of riots. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a fridge pushed off. We're walking through high-rise flats. Yeah, yeah. And the fridge got pushed off the fourth story. Yeah and landed in front of us, wow. uh, car bombs, you know, yeah. the usual, yeah. but we were trained for it, you yeah. know, uh, and then, I then later on went and did a South Armagh, which was bandit country, South which Armour, was back yeah, to yeah. proper soldier, and I was yeah. a sniper then, so it yeah. was yeah. sat in a hole yeah. with a mate, observing and doing stuff. What right. do you mean by bandit country? Yes, yeah, so uh, South Armagh is, is quite yeah, so, notorious. Yeah, it's called bandit country because anything goes down there. It's like the Wild West, and that crosses the borders. Isn't yeah, it, right? it's you've got it's, you've got literally it's where the north and south meet of Ireland, of all, Ireland, yeah, yeah. and it's where all the smuggling goes. It's where all the bombs go. It's everything, and it's it's the Wild West. It really is, and it's a lot of farmland, um, and it's quite fun, but it's dodgy at the same time. Mm. Uh, you've got your watchtowers, and wherever you go, all of a sudden. You get a sniper would appear, and yeah, you know you did a little lead wasp whizzing past your head. Mm. But in both tours, I never ever fired a bullet. Really, that's that's interesting. You know, you, you sh- which is which is which is which is as good as how you want it. it is to good. Do. People you don't want, expect that. Yeah, 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 um, expect you know, we never. I never fired a bullet, but then friends of mine got shot mm. because it was we were so controlled that you had to have a designated target in your sights that you could 100% prove that they were about to take life yeah then you could you could engage yeah we're, we're, but that we're, never happened yeah we're, like even obviously um, going on to when we was in Afghanistan and stuff like that things going around and we still operate under those same rules of engagement which which, which is crazy to think about it now but going know? back to Afghanistan that was like a turkey shoot that yeah. was just yeah whoa yeah, yeah all of a sudden we're in full-blown war here yeah yeah but, um, it, was, but, it, but it, it, it was that wasn't it yeah like, it, and know. it was but so I, you know i did that i then came back promoted again to sergeant yeah uh then went bounced around so the marines have got um 40 commando which danny Torton did yeah. a tour down there got 42 commando in plymouth did a tour there uh is that around the barbican is it? yeah around yeah, yeah around the yeah. barbican so in the middle of the city yeah uh, and but then mixed that into being doing time taking recruits for training did time at uh, a specialist unit in in Paul uh, so did some stuff bouncing around there and then did Kosovo which was Kosovo 
2000 was when it all started to change a little bit. Yeah. What do you mean by it all started to change? The world... So at the same time you had Sierra Leone was kicking off, so the Africa pit was starting to bubble. You had the former Yugoslavia was all starting to... The world was starting to melt down in periods around the world, if that makes yeah. sense. And, and the world was changing. And, and as a soldier, you we were going from deployment to deployment yeah. to deployment, whereas before you would pick up an island tour yeah. once every three years. Okay, that's all of a, time scales. All yeah. of a sudden now, you're doing something every year. But we were overstretched, so I look at, so what, when was I in? From 2005 to 2016 and... In. I, I I come in uh, and when the guys were they were on turnarounds and you like and this is why I talk about the PTSD stuff is that you put soldiers and and people under that much duress all the time then it's going to have a massive effect on I know guys that we, we, a unit that we was at we had a, a company deployed in uh, Helmand and we had a company deployed in Iraq and the guys were on rotations every nine months you know there's there's a lot asking and, and that's exactly what and. 2000 it changed yeah. you know so we did Kosovo Kosovo was a really Kosovo was like Northern Ireland on steroids <laughs> is the only yeah. way to describe it because you've now got Kosovans Albanians and Serbs who will all rip each other apart yeah, yeah. the Albanian Mafia are known as they are hard as you like mm. uh, so you've got all the drug running going you've got prostitution rackets you've got body part smuggling yeah. you've got you name it, it's that. it was going on there. And at the same time, they're fighting a civil war. Yeah. And they go and put Marines in the middle of it and then the army. And it yeah. was... So it stopped. We finished that, came back. And then very, very quickly, 9-11's around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 2001, wasn't it? Yeah. And all of a sudden, that's when... And I, I remember to this day, 9-11. Okay. Um, Talk us about that briefly. So I was uh, I was on exercise in the Oman, and I'd been out with the unit I was working with at the time, and we went back into the headquarters, which was in a tent, and there was a big telly on the wall of the side of this tent, and I thought Die Hard was on. <laughs> <laughs> I can now see exactly. Yeah, yeah, what exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember walking Quality in. Quality film. Yeah. I remember <laughs> the best Christmas film ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember walking into this tent with the. the the officer I was with at the time, and both of us turned around and went, oh, what film are you watching, guys? Yeah. And a mate of mine uh, turned around, Cecil unfortunately died subsequently on um, when we went back to Iraq, um, said, oh, no, this is, this is real, this is live. And I remember watching it going, oh, my God. And the, the officer I was with turned around to him and went, Scott, I think our world's about to change. Yeah. And he was a very, very intelligent guy. And yeah, the next thing we know, we're bouncing out of Afghanistan, we're bouncing out of Iraq. Mm. Um, because at the time, you know, um, just to put some context in it, obviously the, the Americans went into Afghanistan first and we had no involvement in it, did it? And obviously the country fell quite quickly. Yeah, they well, went we went north. back to Iraq, didn't we? we went yeah. down our, and we switched fire and it's only... I think our first deployment on Herrick was 2000. Well, we did. So we did Telic, which was 2002, which is when we went into, and then yeah. basically that's when we took Saddam out and all that yeah, type yeah. of stuff. So we did that one, which was, and that was, that was full on war. Yeah, yeah. 
And then I remember coming back, going to a specialist unit, uh, working with a vehicle at the time. And the next thing was, right, boys, get ready. You're going to Afghanistan in six weeks' time. So what, what, so what Herrick did you deploy? I did the back end of Herrick 4. Herrick 4, okay. Yeah, so what uh, the and then I did there? five Herrick tours. So I was doing five. six. Yeah. Doing six See, see, you, see I, I look at now and I, you know, I, I think five Herrick tours is, is a lot. Like you think of the mental health side, and just um, for me, I only done one Herrick tour, but it was the being somewhere, and like, it, and it was bandit country in places, wasn't it? And it was, and it was just a different way of life to then being like three days later being sat in a pub with your mates, and that that's it was. So really, Herrick Herrick Five was when it went all. So Herrick Four was the famous one when Sixth uh, Assault Brigade, the Parachute Regiment, yeah, yeah. and they ended up getting. Suffocated the Taliban came. They needed to come over the walls, didn't they? Come yeah. over the walls. We then went in at the end of that and basically fought the Taliban hand to hand to get them back out again. Wow! Uh, but you have a look at the the because the, there was very much a change. So the um, Herrick Four was pretty much they meet us head on. Yeah. They meet us with rivals, but then they they soon realised that they couldn't take us head on because of our absolutely. Um, and then it moved from like Herrick Five, Herrick Six, almost to the ID phase. You know, yeah, so. and Herrick. Herrick 5, you know, was a, I did eight months and it was absolutely mental. Yeah. You know, we would go out and, you know, before I was saying you would only, I didn't fire one shot in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. I haven't got a clue how many bullets yeah. I fired out. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, to put it into really stark terms, you know, on Her- Herrick 5 and in the other tools there, do you know that you killed people? Got a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And to put it into context, so I was really lucky that I was a, I was a warrant officer by then, I was a start major. So I'd been promoted up and uh, there, was a sh- there was a slot for an officer. So my boss said, Scott, you can do the captain's job. So I'm like, okay. So as a, a warrant officer, I'm now doing an officer's job. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was attached to a company, uh, J- a Juliet company of 4-2 Commando. And the company second in command was on leave and the the company commander, who was a major, said, I want you to be my company 2IC. So I'd gone from being a SART major to so a... Yeah, 2IC, second, second, second in class. So I'd gone from being Thanks. a... Sorry, I'd gone from being a company SART major, so I'd had the officers that I reported to, to all of a sudden, I'm now commanding 36 men, so I'm now second in command of a company of 160 men. Mm. Wow. And we got involved in a nine-hour battle. And it was a battle. It was a full-on battle. So we're, so we're on Herrick Five now. This is so Herrick so Five. Where were you? Where were you deployed? So on this Herrick was uh, Helmand, but this was up in Kajaki. Kajaki, right, yeah, by the dam. By the dam, and we got caught in. And in this battle, because I was having to record to do the resupply, because we were getting rid of so much. In nine hours, we fired fifteen thousand rounds of machine gun ammunition. Wow. We fired twenty-five thousand rounds of rifle ammunition, we fired 200 mortar bombs, mm. 300 artillery rounds, we fired God knows how many anti-tank missiles, mm. and the RAF dropped four thousand uh, pound bombs. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to pause a minute because I just feel like, I, again, this is my social work side coming out, I just want oh. to check in and just say, reliving all this stuff. I'm okay. Are you, are you yeah. good? Yeah, I'm okay. I've learnt. I figured you probably had your coping mechanisms. Yeah, I've got my coping mechanisms. But I feel almost like a responsibility. Like yeah. I, I, I don't want anything about this pod to take you to a place. No, I'm fine. That you're uncomfortable. You'll know. 
But that was the context of what we went. And to bring what Pete said, you know, I finished that deployment, and I never, I never forget it because I was then flying back to do yeah, my yeah. testing to become an officer. Yeah. I landed at Bryce Norton, got a hire car, and drove straight home. That's what I was, this, is, this is the point I'm getting back to because obviously you you put you're more in the thick of it than what I was, but it was the going round from you know you got numb to certain things because that was the way you live in and then you're back into here and I felt like saying well, there, there's, there, there, there's, there's a war there's a war people are going there and like but like no like sort of no one cared there's the mental side yeah, of it but, but then we obviously it played we had mind. decompression at the end of it but we didn't have when we went on R&R &R, there was no, none of that but they, but they on Herrick 5 there wasn't really decompression they mm. basically put us in a tent and just gave us beer yeah. It wasn't decompression, yeah. and I remember that coming back from and flying into RF Bryce Norton. This hire car's waiting for me, and I was smoking forty Marlborough Red a day. Yeah, yeah. wow. Um, and I remember driving, getting to Newbury Services, pulling in. I was an absolute smoking caffeine addict. Yeah, pulling into uh, the services at Newbury, buying another packet of Marlborough Reds because they were the only ones that were strong enough. Yeah. bought four double espressos and I was still in my desert rig I was stinking from high heaven yeah. sat outside chain smoking drinking double espressos and this old couple came up and went been anywhere nice mate and I was like not really Afghanistan and they just went <gasps> and I had an exclusion zone of about 15 foot round me it's like a scene out of a film man. Yeah. Um, but it, it, drove back bought my wife some flowers and then had six months of getting ready, and I did it all again. Mm. Yeah. But you were, um, so when, when you go back to those early Herricks, obviously the British military were stretched to the, the, the they were stretched so much, weren't they? Like, uh, you, I look at it now, and there, there was pockets that were isolated, you know? So by, like, I went out in Herrick 13, and they, they, their area of operations had, had decreased. We had to do the drawdown of Sangin, which is up north, and obviously the jacket's yeah. gone. Um, but obviously, we back back in that time when you were down there, you you know you were pretty much cut off and isolated a lot of the time, weren't you? Uh, so we would go out for twenty eight days at a time. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't see anyone. You just go and either bash someone up or get bashed up yourself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And my my PTSD, and this is where the PTSD started flaring up. That I came back from my first deployment, and I'd lost lads that I'd commanded. Mm. Um, you know, God rest their soul, and I think about them every day. Um, and I've got two things. I've got a thing called survivor's guilt and I've got commander's guilt. Mm. Okay. So I've been blown up three times. Um, and when you, you look at me, apart from I've got a ton of metal work in my right foot because I've fractured it and I'm about to get metal, more metal work put in my left foot, um, I'm fine. I've got both legs. I've got my arms, I've got my head and everything. Mm. Yeah. Fine physically. Yeah. But it, it just, you don't realise that. And because you're in this cycle of... I'm on operations and I've got six months off and I'm back on operations again and the macho side there's nothing wrong with me yeah. my wife she, my wife did 23 years in the Navy she knew that something was wrong I was driving my car down the middle of the motorway mm. like you know you know yeah. we do when we do yeah. patrol literally yeah. with a white line and Kate's like what the hell are you doing I'm driving Scott you're going to kill someone in a minute yeah but or someone would cut me up and I would literally chase them home yeah. okay. you know someone kicked my dog Jesus Christ, yeah. how I didn't kill him was a miracle. And you overreacted on 
everything and it was like you know you'd have all these photographs and images that we took and we all made little videos yeah, yeah. and all this and you'd be absolutely obsessed and that's when it all started unraveling for me mm. um and then I had the commander's guilt that you know one of one of my guys is paralyzed from the chest down because yeah. I gave him a particular order and he drove over a double stack tank mine I blame myself for that to this day, and then you, and, and it's this whole and then, but because you're coming in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out in and out of of the the op cycle, and as I spoke about earlier on, you're more bothered about your marines, you're more bothered about yeah. the ones below. You don't give a monkey about you. Yeah. And it's only then Kate, after a while, said she she jobbed me in. Yeah. She phoned welfare and went, "You got to sort my husband out." But but you but that's what I mean. You can get you can get caught up in that. But I you lied. Got to look, you got to look after yourself as well, and you can't you can't serve anyone from an empty vessel. But no. I lied, and no. I went, "I'm fine." Yeah, but that like that that would be the 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 commando side of you, and that would also be the, the the men in general. That's 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 how men in general are. Yeah. You know, like oh, I'm alright, I'm fine. Um, okay. And it, and it was weird, and it was only then. So I'd done my fifth tour. Um, and I, I'd, I'd commissioned by then I was a captain yeah. so I'd become an officer um, and they said right Scott you've got to go and do a grown up job in Portsmouth what what do you mm. mean I've got to go and do a, and I've never ever ridden a desk in my life no. mm. what do you mean I've got to go and do I've got to go to Portsmouth eh no no sorry I'm not crazy doing places it. like bandit country yeah. as well <laughs> 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 uh, and they sent me to Portsmouth yeah uh, and I rode a desk and that's when the wheels fell off. And that's the end of part one of our Scott Ashley special. Let us know what you think in the comments or via messages. Next week we delve deeper into PTSD. And it's one not to be missed. You'll hear more from us next week. Until then, take care.